be. If you got your Bibles, guys, I'm going to ask you to turn to the gospel according to St. John, uh, chapter number 17, uh, and we'll begin pick up our reading at verse number 20. This is our base scripture for our subject title of unity. I need you. John, the 17th chapter, we're going to begin reading at verse number 20. But prior to that, I want to read something to you. Just kind of, I ran across this article and I thought about it. Because how many of y'all know, guys, we are creatures of habit. And we're accustomed to doing things the same way over and over again. And part of God's growth mechanism and his growth process with us as believers is that he, he's seeking to change us, to change our course of direction, to change our action, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. God's will and desire is for the church to transform into the plan that he has for his church. And that means us as individual believers have to be willing to connect with the process of change. But, but if, if, if we're, if we're going to be dead level honest, how many, how many of y'all will be honest like me and say sometimes change is difficult? Come on. We, we get accustomed to a certain thing and a certain way of doing things. And uh, we don't really want to move. As a matter of fact, if you're really honest about it, many times God has to force us to move. <laughs> Am I right about it? Something simple as this. I read, read about this article. I thought I said, you know what? That, that probably hit some folks at EBC. So I'm going to read it. OK, it says six reasons to sit in a different seat at church. All right. Now, now some of y'all may not have been here long enough to have your seat identified, but you, ha- you sit in a general area. And some of y'all in, 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 some of y'all sit in the same location. I, I tell you, because again, I, I, I just, my eyes automatically flow to you because I know where you're going to be. And I'm not knocking that, but I'm just saying, you know, different may can help us to get accustomed to change, right? I, my, you know, I know they're watching this via live stream and uh, Doris and Carl Robinson will sit right at that spot right there. My eyes would naturally flow to Carl and Doris Robinson because I knew they, where they were going to be seated by and large. Maybe a row or two difference, but in the same area. He says, this, this, this author said this, I know some readers won't like this post. Most of us have a habit of sitting in the same place in church on Sunday, and I realize that nobody else is calling for changing this pattern. Nevertheless, I press on with my reasons that you and I should sit in a different place at church this weekend. He said, number one, most of us get too comfortable at church in general. He says, we develop all kinds of habits, like parking in the same area, going in the same door, following the same route to our small group, Sunday school class, sitting in the same place, and often going to the same restaurants after service. Is there anybody in the house today? Nothing changes, including, frankly, the depth of our walk with God. We also don't expect God to do anything different when we gather and, when, and, and we then get what we expected. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you woke up and decide that you're going to come out and brave the somewhat inclement weather this morning to come to gather in this service today, that you come with a sense of expectation. Were you expecting God to do something different, or did you just come and say, okay, we'll get a word, we're going to have a little praise and worship, we're going to go on back to the house. I need, and God wants us to come with a sense of expectation that he can do, amen, the impossible things in our life that he's, he's he, in the Bible, the word of God says he's been called and ordained to do. So expect something different. Number two, he says, you'll get to know different people when you sit in a, di- a different place. You might already know everybody in your church, but sitting among different people will give you an opportunity to get to know somebody more deeply. If you don't know everybody, moving your seat will allow you to know somebody new. You'll appreciate better the body of Christ. So maybe sit in a different seat so you can sit around somebody who you didn't know or who you don't know. Third thing, he says, you'll see and hear the service differently. 
He said, it's strange, actually, how changing your seat alters your perspective on the service. You know, uh, one time I, I did a little, uh, little deal where I put, put an envelope up under the chair and put a little uh, uh, token in there that the person who sat in that seat would get some money for sitting on the front row. Now, how many of y'all have ever sat in the front row on a regular basis? At church? Deacon Charles does, and this sister right here. But these, these front rows are, are empty. Now, they're there when you come in, right? Are they there when you come in? Oh, yes, they're there. They're open, and you can glad to come, but nobody gets accustomed to sit on the front row except a few people, okay? But you'll see and hear the service differently when you sit in a different location. He says, you'll notice things about the building you've never seen before, and you'll often even listen to some, the sermon differently simply because everything feels new. And if you think I'm nuts here, he says, at least try it one time. Try sitting in a different spot. He says, number three, number four, somebody else might need your currency. For example, uh, too, too many people sit toward the back of the worship service, so those who come in late got to walk all the way up front, right? So you got them coming in into the camera shot, which is cool, I guess, because you're here. But maybe, maybe if we set up front and feel from the front to the back, then maybe those who came in a little bit late won't feel as embarrassed to come in, right? And the fifth thing, it says, you'll learn to be more comfortable with change in general. He says, here's my crazy suggestion. Sit in a different place every week. Don't let yourself get stagnant in your place each week, and you'll like to be more open to change as your church moves forward in the future. And lastly, he says this, if you completely refuse to change, listen to this one, if you completely refuse to change, if I, if I all of a sudden say, this side, get up, and I want y'all to sit over there, and you get up and sit over there, if you get mad, listen to what he says. He says, if, if you completely refuse to change, you might reveal a negative side of your heart. He says, I understand there are reasons to sit in a particular place for access, you know, whatever, uh, uh, maybe, maybe that you hear better, whatever. He says, but most of us have little reason not to change except for stubbornness, all right? If that's your reason for not even considering this suggestion, you may need to check your heart. Let me know your thoughts, okay? Now, again, I, I read that because I'm not saying that you need to change seats. I did not say that, right? But in going into the new year, I think it's important for us to look at doing things differently in our Christian walk. Can I get a witness? Because, guys, it is too easy for us to get comfortable right where we are. It's too easy for us to stand pat and get comfortable doing church and doing ministry the way we've done it for the last 25 or 30 years. But I'm here to tell you, God is calling on this body here to institute change so that we can fulfill the plan for his church, okay? The unity that Jesus talks about here in this 17th chapter. Look at verse number 20 of John, the 17th chapter with me right quick. Are you still tracking with me? Now, I hope that I didn't mess some of y'all up. Now, some of y'all are like, I ain't changing seats. I didn't tell you to change seats. I, this is just a suggestion that he gave, okay? Just do something different. Try something different every now and then, okay? Try something different. Hey, husbands. Try something different with your spouse, with your wife every now and then. Okay, I got one amen. I didn't get one amen. Husband, try something different with your spouse. Instead of getting her roses every year for Valentine's Day, take her on a trip. I got an amen then, didn't I? Hello? Wives, try something different with your husband. Instead of kissing them on the forehead every now and then, kiss them in the mouth every now and then. Was that too deep for y'all? <laughs> Try something different, if you know what I mean. All right? We get, we get, we get so 
uh, 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 accustomed to doing things a certain way. And if you're not careful, we'll get so accustomed to doing it. When God is saying do it different, we'll tell God, uh-uh, God, I'm not comfortable with that. Uh-uh, God, that's not what I'm used to. Uh-uh, God, we don't do it that way. We Baptists. What I told you before, we are Christian above anything else. And, and that's why we identify as Christians, followers of Christ Jesus. So we're not going to allow a denominational bent or a denominational slant uh, to, to color how we do life. This is what's going to change us. Everybody say the word of God is what we're going to follow. All right, now watch this text, guys. Okay, are y'all with me today? Now, we, 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 we started picking on this a couple of Sundays ago with this subject title, and we, we see Jesus praying prior to him, his crucifixion on the cross of Calvary. And he says this, he prays to the Father. Again, I told you, this is really the Lord's prayer. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. 21 says, let's read, says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Next verse says what? It says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Okay? Next verse read says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He says, may they experience such perfect unity. Now, again, he's praying to the Father on behalf of all of those who are disciples, those who profess to know him as their Lord and Savior. He says we should experience such perfect unity in the body of Christ so that the world will know. The world, I told you on last week, was the world system, the world way of doing, doing things. Those who have not made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus. He says through our perfect unity, guys, the world will know that God sent him, the Father sent him through the perfect unity of the saints. And that's what we've been chewing on because we know and we recognize that the church has, has, has fell down royally in, in, in displaying perfect unity. The, world, the, church has, the church has fell down royally in showing the world what unity looks like. We should be the purveyor of unity in society. Society should look at the world, should look at the church and say, man, what's going on there? How is it that they can get along? How is it that they can do life together? How is it that they can serve together and not be at each other's throats? But sadly enough, that's not what we're seeing in the church today. So we, we, we need unity, and, and you cannot be unified by yourself. You need, you need others in the body of Christ to help uh, paint this picture of unity that Jesus talks about in this 17 chapter. And that's something that we got to, guys, we got to make sure that we get, get paddled. Now, again, we left off last week. We talked about the fact that Jesus showed us what authentic community looks like, correct? And we talked about the fact that one of the things that we saw uh, he, in developing that authentic community with his disciples, he, he selected them, right? He, he chose them. We found out that he chose those who were not necessarily the brightest and the best, but he chose those whom, who he called to follow him. Amen? So God does things differently than the world does things. And he chose the foolish thing in this world to do what? To confound the wise. So let's go uh, to, our, to our, get into, before we get into our second point, uh, I, I want you to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to kind of go with it just for a second. How many of y'all watched college football this past weekend? How many of y'all watched 
the college football playoffs and maybe the bowl games yesterday. I had a full diet of football on yesterday. And, uh, and, and so I, I watched it uh, pretty much all day yesterday. Uh, but a, a football team consists of different players fulfilling different roles, right? And really to fully understand and get, uh, uh, I guess, value out of the game, it's good to know what players play what position and what their assignments are. As a matter of fact, you can watch a game and think something is one guy's fault when it really is not that guy's fault because of the coverage that was called or because of the route that was ran. The guy may have ran the wrong route and the quarterback threw it where he was supposed to be, but he went someplace else. And what do we do? We blame the quarterback, right? Because we're not sitting there understanding what route was called. We don't know what his, what his read option was, right? And so we assume that the quarterback messed up and it could have been the wide receiver. We assume it was the DB that messed up when the guy ran behind him, but it was the safety who should have been over the top covering while the corner had short coverage. But if you don't know that, then, then, then when you watch the game, you don't look at it in that detail. But each one of those guys have different positions. They have different roles to play. And, 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 but the entire team has one purpose and one goal. What is that? To win the game. You don't suit up just to say, okay, we had a good time. We played hard. And, uh, and, and everybody's happy. No, they suit up to win the game. That's their purpose. They have one united purpose. At the end of the, the, the 60 minutes of football, uh, they want to see that their, their team has more numbers on the scoreboard than the other team. Is that correct? In other words, the goal is to win, okay? Their unity consists of pursuing that one goal according to the rules of the game. Likewise, guys, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is composed of people from different ethnicities, from different genders, and from different walks of life, different economic uh, 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 situations. And we all come together for the common purpose of proclaiming the gospel and pursuing God's kingdom agenda here on earth. Is that right? So our effectiveness is determined by our unity. So your gifting, your calling may be different than mine, but when all those giftings and those callings are coming together in the body to serve, to do life the way God says do it, then now we can, we can experience that perfect unity that Jesus prayed about. Can I get a witness? Now, again, unity is really important because you cannot be unified by yourself. I, I think it's important for us to look at relationships in, in, our, in our common everyday lives. I, I oftentimes use the husband-wife relationship because in actuality, Paul, when he wrote, I think it's over in the book of Ephesians, he talked about the fact that the husband-wife relationship is a picture, or a tangible picture of how Christ connects to the church. And so when we look at those relationships, when we begin to see those relationships, and, 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 and when, when you understand what it takes to be unified, then, then you can get a better picture of how the church needs to flow and get to a position where we can be unified, right? Because what did he say? He said that through our perfect unity, the world will know that God sent him. And I'm here to tell you guys, our responsibility is to know what our role is, right? To know what our gifting is, know what our calling is, and to begin to flow in that so that we can, amen, have the same purpose and goal in mind. What happens in the church that disrupts unity a lot of times is the fact that, that many people get out of their role. If the linebacker tries to do what the safety is put on the field to do, that's going to mess the team up. Because if the safety has deep middle and the linebacker goes deep middle, he leaves the short, uh, he, uh, he, he leaves the middle of the field at 10 yards wide open. So the team keeps throwing to the tight end who does a 10 yard cross. 
because the linebacker decided he was going to play safety when that wasn't his role. Now, how many of y'all ever been in the church and you've been flowing in a role that really wasn't your gifting? Anybody? Anybody flowed in a role that really wasn't your gifting? In other words, you were, you were doing it, but, but, but you were doing it just to help out, right? And, and, and that wasn't really your gifting. I'll tell you before, we're going to best serve when we serve in the area where we gifted, okay? And so recognizing that gifting and putting it into place into action for the purpose of promoting the gospel is going to help the church be that unified front that Jesus is praying about here, amen? So, so, so when we look at this thing, unity, our effectiveness is determined by our unity. I need you to repeat that with me and say our effectiveness Oh, y'all got y'all got to wake up this morning and say our effectiveness is determined by our unity. All right. That's what Jesus was praying about. Amen. That's why Satan, guys, works so hard at causing division among Christians and within churches. Unity in truth is critical to experiencing the presence and the power of God. Let's go real quickly to Acts, the second chapter, and we'll get to our second point, which is association. Jesus selected them, but he also associated with the guys who he called. He called them for the work of ministry. Go to Acts chapter number two, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number one. Acts chapter two, verse number one. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me today? Everybody say, unity. I need you. All right, now, guys, that's important because I told you on last week, many of us think that we can do life by ourselves and we really don't need people in our life. I'm here to tell you, if you're going to please God, you need to be looking for people to pull pull close to you so that you can help disciple them and they can help disciple you, right? Look at what the Bible says here in Acts chapter number two, verse number one. Ready? Let's read. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together, what? In one place. Next verse says what? Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Next verse says, then when they, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The verse says this, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 5, let's read together. It says what? At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Text says, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. The text says this, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. Is that right? The verse says, that, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, remember, you got to recall, Jesus had told them, uh, uh, you know, prior to his ascension back up in heaven, he says, I want you all to go and tarry and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Right? Because Jesus had promised them a comforter, an advocate. He had promised them someone, a person of the Holy Spirit, who's going to be there to walk alongside them as they seek to do ministry in life. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that we got to recognize and understand is that, that we, can't do this, we can't do ministry on our own. We were never designed to do life on our own. As a Christian, if you're going to be successful in, in, 
in, in being a purveyor of gospel truth, if you're going to be successful as an ambassador for Christ, you're going to have to learn to embrace and depend on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of y'all grew up in church where the Holy Spirit was something that was strange or foreign to you? Or you didn't you really didn't hear a whole lot of messages on the Holy Spirit? How many of you grew up in churches where, where, where you, you know, the Holy Spirit was thought to be something weird? Huh? In other words, it, it was not something that was really talked about very much, and the work of the Holy Spirit was downplayed in a lot of our churches. But guys, let me tell you something. If we're going to be the church that shows perfect unity, we're going to have to learn how to lean and depend on God's Spirit. He says that it is my, through, my, through the advocate, the, the Greek word is, is parakleta, which means one who's called alongside to help. We have the Holy Spirit who's called alongside us to help us do this work. But we have to embrace his work if we're going to experience, amen, the power that the early church did. The early church, amen, was not as effective until the Holy Spirit was sent down from heaven to, to indwell within men. And once they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to have maximum kingdom impact. All right? It says, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. The verse 9 says, well, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. Keep reading, it says, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome. He says, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. See, on the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit of God was ushered into the earth realm, the message of the gospel, the message of, of hope was given so that everybody could understand it, regardless of what region that they came from. And so the Holy Spirit comes in to help us get to where we need to be. So unity, guys, in truth is critical to experiencing the presence and the power of God. So in order for them to understand it, they have to know what's being said. Can I get a witness? Now, guys, I want to tell you something. One of the things that, that, that disconnects us from God and causes us to be ineffective in our lives uh, and in our prayers is when we have disunity in the body. Go over right quick, if you will. Let's go to First uh, Peter chapter number 3, and we're going to look at verse number 7. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. Everybody say, unity? I need you. So, guys, uh, when you are in a church, or you are working with people who are who name the name of Christ, it is critically important for us to show and to display that unity. Uh, and that's going to come with us having one purpose and one goal. It's like with the football team. If that guy is only concerned about how many passes he gets, and you know, if you ever play wide receiver, a lot of wide receivers uh, tend to be prima donnas. In other words, they like to get the ball thrown to them. The good ones do, right? How many of y'all remember the Terrell Owens? Y'all remember Owens? How many of y'all remember uh, uh, Dez Bryant, any Cowboy fans in the house? Uh, some of those guys, uh, were, you know, they like to get the ball thrown to them, and they would actually cut up if the ball wasn't thrown to them, right? Now, th th there's a limit to that, though, okay? And I, I can appreciate wanting to get the ball, but when you start pouting and you stop blocking because you're not getting the ball thrown to you, now you're hurting your team, all right? Let's translate that to the church today. Some people, when they are not called or when they refuse to serve, actually, uh, when they are not being, quote, utilized like they think, they take their Bible and go home. 
rather than saying, how can I help my church get to where it needs to be? How can I help my church or I say my church. I, remember, we, talk, we got to change that vernacular, right? How can I help his church? Because it's not my church. Let me say it again. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's what? His church. So we are, as a body of believers, seeking to fulfill God's plan for his church. I have to correct myself because we think it's ours, and that's why we don't want to move when, when, when somebody sits in our seat because it's our seat. Guys, listen to this. We are here to serve God in a powerful way, and we got to get beyond ourselves. Watch what the text says, okay? Y'all still with me? Let's read. It says what? In the same way, you husbands must honor your wives. I told you God, God through his Holy Spirit, oftentimes uses that relationship between husband and wife to paint a picture of how we should connect with the church. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you what? Treat your wife with understanding as you what? As you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of what? Of new life. She's your what partner? She's your what? She's your equal partner. So husband, don't, if you are a domineering husband saying it's my way or the highway, you are wrong. Because the text says that you are the lead, but the text says here she's your equal partner and God's gift of new life. I told you on last week, God says he gave us a, a helper that's suitable for us so that because we are weak and we need help, right? Text says, treat her as you should so your what? Prayers will not be hindered, okay? So that your prayers will not be hindered. When we fail to, as a couple, walk in unity, it hinders our prayer life. And when we, as a church, fail to walk in unity, it hinders our ability to get prayers through, all right? Now, watch this, guys. Uh, go with me right quick to 1 Corinthians 11 chapter because division is something that Satan uses to, do, to get the church off of, off of message, out of purpose, Division is his favorite thing to do to disrupt unity because he knows Jesus prayed that prayer that it's through our perfect unity that the world is going to know that God sent him. So what is he going to do? He's going to make sure that we're not unified. He don't want us unified in our homes and he certainly don't want us unified in the church. Go to 1 Corinthians 11 chapter and we're going to start reading at verse number 17. I was talking to Brother Al about this just the other day and he reminded me of a scripture that, I, that when I priest down in Tampa, Florida several years ago, that, that there are going to be sometimes, guys, there's going to be division in the church for the express purpose of showing who's standing for truth. That's not the kind of division I'm talking about right now, okay? There, there, the, the division that Satan sins is division to disrupt God's plan. But there are going to be times when people are going to be fallout out with you because you're standing on truth. Have y'all had that happen in your, in your own life before? Have you ever had a family member fall out with you because you told them truth? Have you had a church member do that? I can tell you as a pastor I have, all right, there are people who are mad at me right now because I spoke truth. But I told y'all, I'm okay with that because that comes with the territory. Whenever you lead something, amen, don't expect everybody to fall in line because everybody's not pursuing God, amen, with all their heart, mind, and soul. Watch the text here. It says, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. Paul is writing here to whom? He's writing to whom? The church at Corinth, okay? He says, what? 
He says, but in the following instruction, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you what? Meet together. Keep reading. Let's go. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I do what? I believe it, he says. Keep reading. But of course, watch this. There must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be what? Come on, we got to read that again. It says, but of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval, what? Will be recognized. What he's saying is this, guys. In some cases, there is division because there are some people who are operating in error. And so when you stand on truth and somebody's over there in error, then there's going to be division because when you're standing on truth, you don't compromise with error. And that person who insists on standing error is going to be at odds with you because either they, have, they don't know the will of God or they've heard the will of God, but they refuse to accept that will. And I'll tell you before, even as we went through this series on God's plan for his church, God's one of the things we've got to recognize is that it's not about us and what we like. It's about God, Jesus Christ and what he desires for us as a church. Amen. And so the sooner you can get beyond that, the, 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 the more effective you're going to be in helping God carry out his plan for his church. I told y'all before, there are things that God has asked me to do and required me to do that sometimes in my natural bent. I may not, it may not be what I really want to do naturally, but I got enough sense to recognize that, that, that God said in his word and that I have a responsibility as a pastor to do it, amen, regardless of how I feel. Remember what I tell you all the time, be obedient and do what? Let your feelings catch up. Everybody repeat that to me and say, I got to be obedient and let my feelings catch up. Because the more you are obedient to the word of God, the more that word of God will sink into your heart. It will take up residence with there. It will take up residence in your heart and you'll begin to flow with God when you do what the word of God says. Be ye doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. Amen. Keep reading, guys. Text says what? It says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Now, again, watch what he says here. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Now, again, I told you, I've talked this before, and I told you that, that during the early church uh, age, they had a, a, what they call a love feast prior to the ceremonial Lord's Supper. And what was happening here was a, was a bold and audacious display of disunity happening at the love feast. Because you had some who were coming who had great meals, and they were getting full, they were gluttonous and getting just filled up, and you had other people over here who were poor, didn't have anything, and they refused to share their excess with those who didn't have much. And guys, that was causing disunity in the church. This was happening prior to the ceremonial Lord's Supper. He says, what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Next verse says what? For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. He, he, he talks about this, the, the, the fact of the Lord's Supper. He says, on that night when he was betrayed, the Lord he took some bread and says what? And gave thanks to God for it. Then he breaking it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. This, do this to remember me. 
He says the next verse, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So when communion Sunday comes around, we're, we're, we're commemorating Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But the early church had something going on that was causing disunity, which affected the, 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 the purity and the consecratability, if that's just a word, of the Lord's Supper. They were, they were not displaying unity at the love feast. So whatever we're doing in our life as a, as a, as a body of believers that's causing division, and when it's, we need to make sure that we don't allow that to infiltrate the church. Can I get a witness? So, so let's keep reading. All right, so as we get back, uh, the Lord's Supper was, again, was celebrating the early church, and that was happening prior to the Lord's Supper. Now let's get to that second point of our outline, association, guys. Because Jesus was one who showed authentic community, and we see that he, he showed us a pattern for how we should, as a church, begin to do life. Association, he stayed with them, making it a practice to be with them, drawing them close to him. Remember the guys who we called? I told you, they didn't make the cut to follow some of the leading rabbis of that day. Because they, they, when, when they got to a certain level of that Jewish education and they didn't make the cut, they were sent back home to work in their family business. So now they were fishermen, they were carpenters, and, and other uh, 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 trades they were, they were operating in. And so Jesus called those who the world said they're not worthy. Aren't you glad he called you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't look at you and say you're not worthy? Aren't you glad that he, he chose you? He drew you to himself, amen? I am thankful that God, amen, loved me enough to give his life for me. So again, uh, he stayed with them, making it a practice to be with them, drawing them close to himself. Go with me, if you were to Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 16 through 20. This is commonly called the Great Commission. Let's read what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Y'all still cycling with me today? Unity, I need you. Look, look what he says in Matthew, the 28th chapter, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 16. Ready? Let's read. It says what? Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Next verse says what? When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them what? Doubted. This is the resurrected Savior, guys, who had risen from the grave. Keep reading. He says what? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Next verse says what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. He says, teach these new disciples. He's talking to his current disciples, the ones who had walked with. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. Now, let me ask you a question. Come on, can we be honest? Are there some commands in the Bible that, that, that give you a little trouble? Are there some things that God has told you to do that, that's, that sometimes you struggle with doing? I need some, I need a, I, we need to show hands. How many of y'all, uh, when it's somebody who, who's treated you wrong or treated you bad, you, you have a little trouble praying for it? Anybody in the house? Uh, or how many of you, uh, somebody treats you wrong, treats you bad, and then you have to go and serve that person? That can be tough, can it? But guess what? If God says it is worth to do it, then we have a responsibility to do it, right? 
Well, brother pastor, if I do it and I don't feel it, am, am I being hypocritical? No, you're being obedient. Because listen, I told you before, there are going to be some times when God is going to require you to do some things that you really don't feel. But we don't walk by feeling. We walk by what? Faith and not by sight. So we got to learn how to move when God's revealed word tells us to move. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you what? Always, even until what? The end of the age. Now, guys, he's, he was with them then and he's letting them know I'm going to be with you always because the, the triune Godhead is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended back up into heaven to be seated on the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ, amen, part of the Godhead too. The Holy Spirit comes to walk and abide with us. Amen? So watch it, watch it. So, so Jesus, what Jesus did was he says, now I, he pulled those guys close to him and he began to walk with them. And, 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 and so the essence of his training program was let the, let, letting the disciples walk with him, following him day by day. Jesus had no formal school, no seminaries, no outline course of study, no periodic membership class he enrolled his followers in. All Jesus did to teach these men uh, his way was to draw them close to himself. So what does that mean to us? Well, if Jesus helped grow these guys by association, in other words, drawing them close to him, then why is it that in our churches today we don't see believers who've been, all of us have been called and ordained to help disciple others, why is it that we are hesitant to draw people close to us? That's a question I want you to think about for a second. Why is it that you are hesitant to draw someone close to you so that you can pour into their life? Why are you hesitant? Is it because they're different than you are? Is it because you were hurt the last time you drew somebody close to you? In all likelihood, that's one of the reasons. They're different. Or I was hurt, Pastor, the last time I pulled somebody close to me. A a, a Pastor, the the last time I pulled somebody close to me, they betrayed me. So I I made a conscious decision that I will never get close to anybody again. But guys, let me tell you something. Our responsibility to be disciple maker calls for us to draw people close to us just like Jesus did. Let me, let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, you know, even, even, how many of y'all remember Zacchaeus, the guy who climbed up, up the sycamore tree? And when Jesus told him to come down, I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. And you read that account of Zacchaeus, uh, you, you'll begin to see, that's over in Luke, the 19th chapter, you'll begin to see that Jesus Amen. Brought him in close to him, shared with him the gospel message, and Zacchaeus got born again. And Jesus spent some, some time with him in his house, mentoring and sharing with him. So we have a responsibility as Christians to do the very same thing. See, it takes time to build association. Everybody say it takes time. Such close and constant association meant that Jesus didn't have a whole lot of time to himself. Uh, Luke 11 and 1 says this. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, as he finished, Luke 11, 1, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. He hadn't even finished praying. It says, as he finished praying. They were, they were connected to Jesus. They were around him. They were associating with him, and they were learning as they followed the master. Well, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Some people are going to learn and they're going to grow in their faith as they spend time with you. Now, let me ask you a question. 
How many of y'all are willing to spend time with people? I need some hands on. How many of y'all are willing to spend time with people? Some of y'all are not. Is that what you're telling me? Some of you are not really, really, you're not really, okay, pastor, I will if they just like me. I will if they like the same things that I like. I will if they go to the same places I go. But guys, guess what? God is calling upon each of us to draw people to us, amen, in association so that we can pour into their lives. We are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador represents Christ on earth. If Christ pulled people close to him and associate them with him and let them walk with him so they can learn from him, then God, guys, he calls them on us to do the very same thing. Now, listen, it's easy to talk about unity and it's easy to talk about doing God's will, but it's much more difficult to really step out and start doing it because just like we sit in those same seats, many of us are not used to doing church any way than what we've always done it. And what I'm telling you, God is saying, if we're going to fulfill the plan for his church, we got to be willing to do church life differently. We got to be willing to walk in our Christian faith in a different manner than what we've done all these years. Because I got news for you guys. This world that, that we're trying to minister to now is not necessarily going to come to your church service. Did y'all hear me? They're not going to necessarily come in here unless, first of all, a relationship has been developed out there. So it's important for us to be willing to reach out to people. Can I get a witness? So that's going to take some time. It also takes follow-up, guys, if we're going to associate. Nothing is more obvious yet more neglected than the application of this principle in the church today. Yet Jesus would not let his disciples miss it, guys. During the last days of his journey on earth, the master felt it necessary to crystallize their thinking about what he had been doing while he was here on earth with them. Look up John 15 with him right quick. John 15, verse 26 through 27. John 15, verse 26 through 27. Unity, I need you. I need you. And I put that up to emphasize that we cannot do this Christian life all by ourselves. If we're going to be fulfilling God's plan for the church, we're going to have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to pull some folks close to me. I'm going to, I'm going to let what I've been taught be exuded out of me so I can help somebody else catch on to what God's will is for their life. Amen? But that means that sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to give up a little privacy. When I say give up a little privacy, sometimes you got to be willing to say, you know what? I, I plan on doing this on Saturday, but you know what? I'm going to go help this sister over here. I'm going to go over there. She's going through a hard time, but I'm going to go over there and spend some time with her. I'm going to pray with her. I'm going to take her a meal. I'm, whatever it is that you're going to do, be willing to say, I, I, I'm going to give up some of my free time to go minister to this person. Can I, I got one amen on it. Can I get one amen? Can I get one amen? Y'all are real quiet this morning, okay? <laughs> Can I get one amen on that? See, God calls upon us to give of ourselves just like he did. Watch what the text says, right? Let's read. It says what? But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. So who is the Holy Spirit talking about? Who is the, the advocate is another word for the Holy Spirit. Who is he going to be talking about? Who's talking here? Jesus is talking. He says this. 
he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. If someone is always talking about themselves, it ain't the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be talking about whom? Jesus, right? Look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Look at what Jesus says. And you must also testify about me, talking about his disciples, because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Without any fanfare, uh, and, and, and it was unnoticed by the world, Jesus was saying that he had been training men to be his witnesses after he was going to go back to heaven. And his method of doing it was simply to be with them, to spend some time with them. That's one of the reasons why, guys, after we did our, each one of our studies, we, we take a break and we, we give time for the small groups to spend some time together. We give, we give, we give uh, time for the small groups to, to serve together. Because when you serve together and spend time together, you get to know one another. When you serve together and spend time together, you get a chance to encourage one another. When you serve together, spend time together and, you, and encourage one another, you, you, you get an opportunity to help disciple one another. So that's why we're saying, you know, many churches, I, you know, I, I'm one who believes that, that, that every waking hour shouldn't be spent in church. Because we got to give you time to do this stuff outside of church. If, if, if we have a church meeting five days out of the seven days and all we're doing is coming in and, 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 and having praise and worship and teaching one another, when are we going to have time to go out and minister to those who need to, to hear the, the message that we got? And so what I'm saying is, is when, when you have time, I don't think anybody can say that this church's schedule is laborious. Uh, it's labor intensive. I, I, we, we try to give you time to put this into action, the time to spend with your family, the time to bring others into your circle so that you can associate, so that you can help lift them up. But now, can we be honest about it? I don't think any of us are doing this at the level that God desires for us to do it at. So all of us got room to improve, right? Every last one of us got room to improve. Every last one of us in this new year, I was saying, God, put in put my spirit at least one person or two people who I can reach out to and draw them in close to me. Who I can associate with so that I can share life with them and tell them about this God who saved me, who delivered me. So, so, so listen, here's one of your assignments from this message today is to begin to pray about somebody who you can pull in a little bit closer to you. Somebody who you can say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call that person. I'm going to encourage that person. I'm going to do lunch with that person. I'm going to some, spend some time with them so that I can pour into their life and let them pour into me. Amen? So you got, you got, you got an assignment, at least one. I would say at least two for this year you're going to pull in close to you to begin to pour into them. All right? So now, uh, if you look at Luke 19, chapter, again, verse number seven, we see where Jesus went home to Zacchaeus and begin, after his conversion uh, on the streets of Jericho, he spent some time with them before leaving the city. And in John, the fourth chapter, verse number 39 to 42, we see that after the conversion of the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus tarried two extra days there uh, in Sakar to instruct the people of that community who believed on him because of the word of that woman. Go there right quick, John, the fourth chapter, verse number 39. Watch this real quick. I've oftentimes said that this Samaritan woman at the well was 
in, in my mind, I, no theologian said this, and, 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 and I didn't read this in the commentary. In my mind, I just believe that this Samaritan woman was a type of the church, a type of the church that God wanted to be displayed because she was Samaritan. That means that she was of multiple ethnicities. She was Jew and she was Gentile in one. So she was, she, she had, she had two ethnicities abiding on the inside of her. And I believe that's, that we, we know that that's God's plan for his church because he says, I've died so that Jew and Gentile can come together into one body. And this Samaritan woman had two ethnicities in one body. And she hears, the reason why I say she's the type of the church is she hears a message from the Savior and takes that message to her people and begin to talk about what the Savior told her. And that's what our responsibility is, is to hear a word from Jesus, take that message, and begin to speak it to those who are in our circle. Look at what the text says. Many Samaritans from the village believe in Jesus because the woman had said, ever said a woman said, Say, I'm one who believes that God can use whoever he wants to use to carry his message. Are y'all with me today? He just did it right here. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because what? The woman has said, he told me everything I ever did. She's testifying, and through her testimony, these people get saved. Look at the next verse. Let's read. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days. Spend time hanging out with him. Sometimes it's good to hang out with folks. All right, how many of y'all struggle with hanging out? Just look at me and nod your head and say, okay, okay, Pastor, I'll struggle with that a little bit. How many of y'all struggle with hanging out with people? All right, guys, let me tell you something. One of the ways you get beyond that is to, is to have purpose in doing so and hanging out. In other words, when you hang out, you have purpose. You have kingdom purpose when you connect with people. All right? That means that I got to make sure that I get beyond my idiosyncrasies. I got to get beyond my insecurities. And I got to begin to say, God, however you want to use me, use me, Lord. Are y'all with me today? I got to get to the point to where God is never about me, but it's always about you. What can you use me to do? And I'm here to tell you, when you learn to depend on the Holy Spirit, God can use you in a miraculous way. He says, long enough for many more. He hung out those two days long enough for many more to hear his message and what? And believe. Next verse says what? Uh, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This woman took her witness and, 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 and many believe initially because of her, but then there were others who heard Jesus teach himself and they said, well, listen, it ain't just because you told us, we heard it from the master himself. He has talked to us and now we are indeed believe that he is the savior of the world. So guys, what am I trying to say? We as a church have to begin to do exactly what Jesus was doing. He was associating people with him so they could hear his message. The church should be a continual fellowship, amen? In actuality, the whole problem of giving personal care to every believer is only resolved through a thorough understanding of what the church is here to do, guys. The church is not just here for you to come on Sunday. If we'll ever get beyond that, and think about your own life, guys, because some of the theological construct that we grew up with was come to church. How many of y'all grew up? You better go to church. 
And that was the existence that we thought we were okay if we came to church. But guys, it's so much deeper than just coming to church and sitting here and listening to some songs saying and listening to me preach for about an hour. It's much more than that. God is about spiritual transformation. He wants to transform you. Transform, transform you so that you can associate others with you and draw men close to you. Watch this, guys. The church has not done a good job of this. And I will tell you that this church has not done a good job of this, and God has called upon us to get better at it. That's why we are pushing small groups. That's why we're pushing uh, authentic relationships. That's why we went through the study of how to have an emotionally healthy relationship. That's why we went through the study of how to have emotionally healthy spirituality so you can get, beha- get beyond your emotional dysfunction to learn how to connect with people. Many, many, many Christians struggle with connecting with people because they are emotionally not healthy. You're emotionally not healthy and you're not allowed God into that space where you've been hurt. So now you keep everybody away because you don't want to be hurt again. Hurting doesn't feel good, does it? It absolutely does not. But guess what? That should never be an excuse for not doing God's will. So get emotionally healthy so you can connect with people and begin to let God use you to share with them. So association, the church has to get, get, get better at this because we, you know, the, the, this association happens on a larger scale when we as a church begin to embrace it and not run away from it. Every member of the community of faith had a part to fulfill in this ministry, but they could only do this as they themselves were trained and inspired by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his followers. As long as Jesus was with them in the flesh, he was the leader, but thereafter it was necessary for those in the church to assume this leadership role. And so now it is our responsibility. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, but he left us here to connect and associate with people. So association is the next rung on this ladder of, 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 of having authentic community. Are you willing, hear me carefully, are you willing to associate with those who may be a little bit different than you? Are you willing to associate with someone who, who's different than you ethnically? Are you, are you willing to associate with somebody who's different than you politically? They may be a Republican, you're a Democrat. You can't hang out with a Republican. You can't hang out with a Democrat. You can't hang out with an Independent. God called us, guys, to associate with people and through our unified effort, the world will see that God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son to die for us on, on Calvary's Hill, to be that, that, the, the sacrificial offering so that each one of us could be saved. Now, the question for you today, the question on the table for each and every last one of us is this. Am I willing to let go of what I want and begin to do what Christ Jesus wants me to do? That's the question. Because I, 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 don't, I don't have to even poll the audience, but I know some uh, in the Christian faith are, are, are very hesitant to, to open themselves up to associate someone with them because they're afraid they're going to get hurt, they're going to get disappointed. Let me tell you something, guys. When you love on people, they're gonna, people are going to disappoint you from time to time. But I much rather love like Christ told me to love than to withdraw myself and be on the island to myself because I know what God's word told me and it's our responsibility to be those ambassadors for Christ to show his love to those who need to hear about it. Amen? Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be that ambassador 
whom he utilizes in the world to express the unity that he, he prayed about in John the 17th chapter. My question to you in the year 2022 is, are you ready to be that example? Are you ready to associate yourself? Are you ready to give of yourself so that others may be helped? God is calling on you and he's wanting you. He wants to use you. Yes, you. I, quit talking about what you're not capable of. Listen, with, with, with a willing heart and the Holy Spirit, you can do this. And God is waiting on you to, to yield to his will. Every head bowed, every back closed. Father, we thank you.